Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. This last week, that cultural event that is lost coming back to network television was on. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not one of you. Um, I'm not someone who watches the show. Uh, I've seen about 15 minutes of it, enough to be lost myself. Um, the, the thing that's encouraging to me is that people that have watched 1,500 hours of it are still just as lost as I am. Um, and, you know, everybody's debating back and forth where it's going to go and how it's going to end. And, you know, knowing that the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that there's no, nothing new under the sun, um, I know that the answer to where lost is going is probably found in the past. And so, really, it's probably going to end up like Gilligan's Island, just so you know. You know, some people got stranded on a desert island, and uh, they've been trying to get off and figure out what's going on. You know, eventually, at the end of Lost, you're going to find out that Gilligan is going to mess it up again, and they're not going to make it off the island. So that's kind of where it's headed uh, on the show. But, um, you know, I was thinking about that, and, and uh, I was actually looked, I looked up information on Wikipedia about the show Gilligan's Island this last week. Uh, you're, you're thinking, I have way too much time on my hands. But I, I looked up some info on the show, found out that it's actually been off of network television for over 40 years. Yeah, there's, there's some people that are thinking they're really old right now. Um, some of you may have seen it on network TV. Some of you saw it in syndication, but uh, it's been so long time. You know, but, but, but because it's been so long, some of you may have not seen the show. And so just to kind of catch you up on the plot line for the show, uh, basically there were seven people who went out for a three-hour tour. And while they're on the open sea on this three-hour tour, a storm hits and the tiny ship was tossed. And if it were not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. Okay, you guys know this story. Um, for, you were trying to act all coy about the Gilligan's Island. Y'all can sing the song. They go out for a three-hour tour, and then the storm hits, and that storm washes them up on the shore of this deserted island. And that's kind of the premise of that show. And, and you know, I, I was thinking about that uh, song, and I was thinking about that this week, because um, this last couple of weeks, uh, personally, we found ourselves in the middle of a storm. Um, and it's amazing how when you go out on the open sea of our lives, expecting one thing, expecting a three-hour tour, sometimes a storm blows up. Uh, you, I know you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you have had experiences like this. You think you're sitting down for dinner when the phone rings and someone tells you that the test results are positive. You've got cancer times when you, you go to work thinking that you've got just another normal day, and they tell you that you've got to the end of the day, and then you're done. Times when you get a phone call in the middle of the night, and you find out that a loved one has passed away. There's all kinds of points in our lives where we think that we're on a three-hour tour, and suddenly a storm comes up that blows us off course. You know, the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been in the middle of one of those uh, with my family. Uh, you know, uh, 12 days ago, my wife went in for a pretty routine outpatient surgery that they told us we would be home in three hours, 
and uh, it didn't quite work out that way. Um, they went in and they were going to do general anesthesia, and if, if you know uh, anything about uh, surgery, you know that when they put you under general anesthesia, they'll, they'll put an intubation tube down your throat to make sure that you can breathe during surgery, and um, they, they did that with my wife, with Kimberly, but as the, the, the tube went in, it, it, it didn't find an opening. So they tried another tube, and, and it didn't find an opening. Eventually, they got a toddler-sized intubation tube uh, that was about five millimeters wide into her throat, and her throat swelled tight around it. And so when the doctors came out, instead of telling us we were going home in 45 minutes, they said that she's going to ICU, and her breathing is uh, in serious jeopardy, and she's on a ventilator, and you can see her in about four hours. Um, that was our last Tuesday, and uh, the storm hit. And uh, uh, where it went from there, uh, for about 36 hours or so, she was uh, on um, the ventilator, and she was um, uh, with the intubation tube in. They decided that the, the best way to secure her airway was going to be to do a tracheostomy. And if, if you're not if you're like me, uh, 10 days ago, and you're not up on medical lingo, that means that they cut a new airway in her throat. About two fingers above her breastbone, they, they cut a new airway, and they put a plastic tube in there, and that was how she was going to be able to breathe. And, and the upside of that is that her breathing was secure. Uh, the hard part about that um, was that she wasn't going to be able to talk, or at least not very well, at least for a, for a time. And uh, uh, the storm was blowing, and, and it was tough. And, uh, you know, over the last uh, couple of weeks, the last 12 days, I, I can honestly say that it's been the hardest 12 days of my life. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't ask Kimberly that question. She's gone through a lot of difficult things um, in the past. So I don't know where this would rank on her scale, but for me it was there. I didn't know if, if her, her life was in jeopardy, if, if uh, our, our you know, normal life for us, whatever that looks like, was in jeopardy. It was, it was a very difficult time. And, you know, we're, we're still in the middle of that storm. Um, and, and, you know, many of you in here have gone through far worse than that. I, I don't say this to say, wow, we've, we've, we've hit level 10,000 and no one else has ever gone through anything. I mean, I'm in a room full of people. I see your faces. I know what's going on. But we, you, I say this because I'm in the middle of a storm and you know what it's like to be in the storm. And so knowing that we had this time together today, I, I thought, what, what would we do with our time? And I thought, you know, why don't we just reflect on some of the scriptures that have encouraged me in the last 12 days in the midst of the storm with the hopes that they would encourage you as you're in the storm or as you're entering a storm at some point in the future. And so we're going to do that in the book of Mark in chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible open there, and, and I, I said this in the first service, I, I mean this, uh, this is not, uh, not going to be the most polished message you've ever heard. Um, I just want to share with you some of what God has been encouraging my heart with over the last uh, 12 days. And it's been found in, in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Uh, and it deals with a, a situation where Jesus and his disciples were on a little three-hour tour when a, when a storm hit. This is what it says. It says, On that day when evening came, Jesus said to them, Let us go over to the other side. They're on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus says, Hey, let's, let's get in the boat and let's go across the lake, and we'll engage in some more ministry on the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. It's kind of a funny phrase, but really what they're saying is, 
Back in Mark chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was teaching in a boat. Now, 34 verses later, Jesus hops back in that same boat, and they're taking it to the other side of the lake. And it says that other boats were with him. It says, there arose a fierce gale wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. See, the Sea of Galilee was kind of a shallow sea surrounded by somewhat, you know, tall mountains that had deep valleys between them. And those deep valleys between them formed wind tunnels, and the wind would rush through those valleys and it would stir the water on that lake up very quickly to very dangerous levels. And that's what was happening. It was causing the waves to crash over the side of the boat. It says, Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, these six verses have been very encouraging to me the last week, and and I want us to look at just two things this morning before our time of communion together uh, that that I hope will be an encouragement to you as well as we go through the storm. Uh, There are just two observations about the disciples in this, and we'll draw some applications for us. The first observation really is this. Uh, The disciples were not overestimating their situation. They were underestimating the Savior. The disciples weren't overestimating their situation. They were underestimating the Savior. Now, this is what I mean by that. The disciples found themselves in this boat in a very difficult situation. They're on this this fishing boat, and and the water is crashing over the sides and swamping the, the deck of the boat. Now, if you've ever been on a boat, you know that the water is better underneath it than it is inside of it, right? So when the water starts coming inside the boat, it put them in great risk. Uh, Luke, in chapter 8, verse 23, in the parallel account of this story, says that they were in great danger. See, the disciples had been on the, the water enough to know that the situation was serious and that they were experiencing uh, some really rough stuff with potentially deadly consequences. And so they were scared. They were frightened. They, they were anxious. They were straining at the oars to try to keep the boat steady on the water. See, the disciples weren't overestimating their situation, but they were underestimating the Savior. See, the whole time they're straining with the oars and and, and, and dealing with this very serious and dangerous situation, Jesus, the Savior, lay sleeping beside them. And it's hard to quantify just the, how, how powerful that scene is. If you can just imagine this scene, Jesus is asleep on the boat. When Jesus finally wakes up, in a word, he stops the storm. It says he rebuked the wind. That means he ordered the wind. He just said, enough, and it stopped. It went from rough sea to calm waters. You could, you could, it's like glass. You could water ski on it. It went from, from crazy wind to calm. You know, I'm thinking about for, for people around our parts who don't spend a lot of time necessarily on 
you know, the ocean or something like that. How do we compare this? And I was thinking, you know, it'd be like an F5 tornado headed right towards your house in the middle of an intense, intense May 3rd kind of storm. And Jesus just walks out and goes, enough, and suddenly it's clear, calm, and sunny. And you think, that's not a miracle. That's what living in Oklahoma is all about. No, it was miraculous. He ordered the storm to stop, and it stopped in an instant. Storms don't do that. You know, this is hyperbole playing out in history. This is the, the awesome power of Christ displayed in this traumatic way to let the disciples know just who that was in the boat. The one who was able to control everything. If he's able to control the wind and the waves, certainly he can control and encourage and provide for the hearts of those in the boat. See, the disciples hadn't overestimated the situation, but they had underestimated the Savior. You know, I was thinking about that this week because, uh, you know, when you go through a trial as a Christian, and when, when you know that, that we are supposed to go through and, and consider it joy, and you know that it's preparing for us and strengthening our faith, we, we have this subtle pressure to downgrade the severity of any trial that we're going through. You ever go through that? You know, it's, it, we, really it's a five on the scale of stress, but we want to tell everybody it's a two. We just kind of downgrade it. We think that's the spiritual thing to do. We want to lessen the severity of the situation in our, some kind of semantical game in our minds to try to make it okay. When in reality, we may, we may be in a situation where there's great danger. You know, I don't find it particularly encouraging to tell myself it's a two if it's a five. And you know, this, this past week, uh, we were in a situation that, that was a five. We didn't know for sure if Kimberly's life was in jeopardy, didn't know for, for certain what this was going to mean. It was, it was totally overwhelming. The situation was dangerous. It was serious. We didn't find encouragement in the midst of that. I don't find encouragement this morning in the midst of that by somehow telling myself that it's not all that bad. It just, just feels kind of hollow. It's not in overestimating the situation that we find encouragement. The, 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 the encouragement is found when we remember that we, we have this tendency to underestimate the power of the one who is in the boat with us. See, uh, last Thursday night, uh, 10 days ago now or so, uh, I just, I was, I was totally, totally spent. You know, they, what, what they do when they, they put the, 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 uh, tracheostomy in Kimberly, and when they had all the problems, they basically kept her sedated from the time she went in for the surgery until she woke up Thursday morning. She had about 48 hours where she was unconscious. In the midst of that time, they uh, put the trach tube in and things so that when she wakes up Thursday morning, she's catching up on two days of big events that involved her. Uh, the anxiety that I felt about having those conversations with her was intense. Um, that day was, was extremely difficult for her as she's getting used to the reality of this and dealing with the pain of surgery and all that kind of stuff. It was difficult for me emotionally. And I remember that night, um, I, I, was just a, I was just a wreck. I couldn't, I couldn't even speak. I, I would open my mouth to say something, and I would just start crying. I've never had this experience before in my life. This was just kind of what was going on. And, and you know, it, it was kind of, it, it, it's kind of a funny way. It was comical because Kimberly can't speak. Um, I'm such a basket case, I can't speak, and she needs to get the nurse's attention for something, and I keep going out there, and I can't even say anything to them, and it was just, you know, 
was this whole experience. But, you know, in, in the midst of that, I, it, I was not overestimating the situation, but, but I was underestimating the power of the Savior. Because in the midst of that, I was feeling totally overwhelmed with all the possibilities and the what-ifs and, and what does this mean and how are we going to provide for this and how do I encourage my wife and how do I do all this stuff. All of that that was going on was, was very overwhelming. It was, an, it, was, it was an intense, dangerous situation. But in the midst of that, I was forgetting the power of the one who was in the boat with me. You know, I, I had some, some friends that just encouraged me uh, along that way that night and, and just reminded me, hey, he's there. And, and it was so encouraging for me to know that he was with me. The one who would be able to take it all away in an instant was right beside me in the boat in the midst of the storm. Now, I don't know what the storms are that you're dealing with right now. Um, but you know what? Don't, don't spend your time trying to convince yourself that it's not all that bad if it is. I mean, you know, there's times, you know, you have a hangnail, it's not the end of the world, right? But there are other times that you're in serious, dangerous situations and encouragement is not necessarily found in telling yourself it's a two. Encouragement is found not in downgrading the circumstances. Encouragement is found in looking at the one who's in the boat with you. The one who is able to calm the storm is with you. That's the first thing that we see in the passage. But the, the second thing that I think that is important for us to see is another observation about the disciples is that the disciples mistook Jesus' inaction for indifference. The disciples mistook Jesus' inaction for indifference. I mean, imagine the scene. They're straining at the oars, and he's asleep. I, I think it's so funny that they include that detail with his head on a cushion. You know, isn't that funny? I mean, I think the reason why that's included is because they must have told that as a part of every part of the story when they would tell somebody else. You're not going to believe it. This was the biggest storm you've ever seen, F5 conditions, Category 6, whatever, and Jesus is asleep with his head on the cushion in the middle of the boat. You know, that was the circumstances that were going on. And, and I don't know when it was in that uh, whole experience that they began to ask each other the question, what is he doing? They were straining at the oars and he was asleep. And eventually they, they, they work up the courage to go over and, and shake him awake and say, what are you doing? Don't you care? Because he was not acting in the way that they wanted him to act, they assumed that he didn't care. They assumed that he was indifferent. And they, 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 they wake him up. Now, what's interesting, you think, what, what would it have looked like? What, what were they really asking Jesus to do? What were the disciples really asking Jesus to do? You know, we know the whole story, so I think that we think that they were asking him to calm the, the sea. That was a whole new category for them. They were, they, that was, this had never happened before. The sea had never been calmed in an instant. I think what they were saying was, hey, Jesus, grab an oar. 13 is better than 12. We're getting tired. And yet Jesus lay sleeping. And they assumed that because he was not grabbing an oar and helping them on the water that he didn't care. But you know what? Nothing could be further from the truth. You know, one thing, you cannot read the Gospels without coming to grips with the fact that Jesus cared for the disciples. He cared for them. He stayed with them. He called them. He prayed for them. He equipped them. He gave them something to eat. He visited their parents' homes. He, he was visited them after his resurrection, especially to give them encouragement and instruction. You cannot read the Gospels as an honest person and believe that Jesus did not care for the disciples. 
And so whatever was happening in the boat, it wasn't indifference. His lack of action, his sleep, must have meant something else. And I believe that his sleep in the boat was not because he didn't care. It was because he was going to be doing something else. He was going to be doing something, something greater. And, you know, I, 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 I say that um, because when, when we're in the middle of the storm, there's probably requests that we have that we think that is the way that God needs to show up. God, if you're in this, then when I pray and ask for when Kimberly wakes up, this is all over and she's fine, and they take the tubes out and we go on down the road. If that's my only category for God responding and he doesn't do that, then I might come to the conclusion that he doesn't care. I don't know what the, the storms are in your life, but there's probably some scenario that you're praying for that, that God answering prayer, God showing up, would look in a specific way. The cancer goes into remission, the relationship heals, the job, you get a better job, a higher paying job, a whatever, you know. Sometimes we, we have this specific that we're asking for. And you know, the, the reality is that the disciples were asking Jesus to grab an oar, and in reality, he was going to do something even better. But they didn't know that. And in the midst of our request to God to work in the midst of the storm, if he doesn't respond immediately or he doesn't respond as we want him to, we shouldn't conclude that he doesn't care. The Bible is full of promises that say that Jesus didn't just care for the disciples, but he cares for you and me as well. And so when he doesn't do what we want him to do in the middle of the storm, we shouldn't say, God, you must not care about me. It's just that he's doing something else. And, you know, that's, that's a hard thing, and that's something that we have to take by faith. I, you know, as, as somebody who's in the middle of a storm right now, and, and Kimberly takes a step forward and two steps back, it feels like at times, and it's frustrating and it's discouraging, and you wonder, where's all this going? I, I can honestly say, I, I don't know what God is doing in this. I don't know. He, he hasn't shown up in the way that I've asked him to, but I don't know what he's doing. And you know what? I've got to be okay with that. Because it's not just that he doesn't care. It's that he's, just, he's doing something else. And I have to trust that he's, he's good to us. And that's why Jesus' comments to the disciples after this whole endeavor is he says to them, uh, if I can find my spot back here, he says to them, why are you afraid? You still have no faith. Jesus' comments to them were about their faith. He was encouraging them, imploring them, challenging them to trust him in the middle of the storm. You know, it's interesting. I, I think, what, what would it look like if the disciples would have responded in faith? What does a faithful response look like? For the disciples here. You know, sometimes we think, well, if they really had, would have had faith, they would have been asleep with Jesus. There would have been 13 pallets, 13 cushions, 13 people asleep in the middle of the storm. You know, the reality is, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that, that faith on the part of the disciples would have been inactivity. I think that faith on the part of the disciples would have still looked like they would have been straining at the oars, because that's what you do on this angry sea in Galilee. But I think that faith would have been 
trusting that as they're straining against the, the, the wind and the waves, that God is still in control and He still cares and what happens to them is still firmly within the grasp of His hand. That's what Jesus was challenging them to. You know, I think about that for us and in the storms we're in. You know, for, for us, having faith that God's going to work doesn't mean that we say, well, I'm not even going to worry about how to take care of a tracheostomy tube because we believe that God's going to take it out by 6 p.m., so why clean it? You know, uh, that's, not, that's not part of the package for us because that's not what faith really is. Faith is continuing to do the things that God has called us to in our everyday lives. But as we do them, believing that He's with us, that he cares and that he is, he is doing something fully within the power, the grip of his control. And you know, when, when we come to grips with those two truths, that he cares even if he doesn't act the way we want him to at times, and when we find our encouragement in him and not just in the changing of our, of our circumstances or downgrading our circumstances, then I think we can have some real encouragement in the midst of the storm. Now, we're going to be concluding the service today uh, by uh, sharing communion together. And I, I think that communion on a day like today is very appropriate because as we, as we share this meal uh, together, we're going to be taking uh, bread and juice that are symbolic of the body and the blood of Christ. They're two elements that are tactile. You can feel them. You can smell them. You can taste them. They're physical elements in a physical world that remind us that Christ is present with us in a spiritual way in the midst of the storm. When you take these elements into your hands today, I want you just, just to remember the one who has got his head on the cushion beside you. And it's from him that we can draw encouragement in the midst of the storm.